Okay, I think I talked last week about the different sections of Luke and how he breaks the whole gospel into four sections. And I was a bit ahead of myself because I've already written number one and number two of next of part two. So I was talking about homework that I thought you would be looking at this week, but you're not going to look at it until the next part. So, um, but we talked about the different sections and what Jesus does in those sections and what Luke records. And uh, I think I said last time we're in the third segment or the third section of Luke's gospel. It started in. Yeah, the first one is the first two chapters, and then the next one is 3 through 8, and then 9 through 16, and then 17 through 24. I think the first one is 1 through 3, or 1 through 4 it might be, but um, it's, it's short. You'll know the difference when it moves on. So, um, and I, in, the thing, in the homework online, I've asked what, what's primarily recorded in the different sections? What, what way does Luke lay out his gospel? But anyway, in this section, which started at chapter 9 till um, chapter 16, there are all of the most familiar parables and stories that Jesus tells. It's just full of them. It's, you know, the prodigal son, the, uh, raise, the rich man and Lazarus, the, uh, the kind of instructions not to worry, not to be afraid, just to the parable of the lost sheep. There's so many of them, and, and all of them, or many of them, involve money or wealth, or possessions. And, um, and all of those that, it, that involve money illustrate the tension that exists between, for believers who have to live in a physical world and a spiritual world at the same time. And, and Jesus talks a lot about that in this section of Luke. He talks a lot about how to manage that tension, how to live in both worlds with a focus on one. And, um, oh, that's Brian coming back. Um, and uh, so one of the things I was thinking about in that was, okay, if he's t- telling us about these two worlds and how that they, there is tension to try and live in them, why is it important that we understand that? And are we being presented with a choice? If there are two worlds that we have to inhabit and we're being shown that we can only focus on one or consider one important, why is that? I mean, you know which one's important, which is the one we're supposed to give priority to. His kingdom, the spiritual kingdom. But we live in a physical kingdom whilst we give priority to the spiritual one. So why is it important that we um, give priority to one and not the other? Yes, that's that's it. That's true. Yeah, yeah. What will happen? But how will you ever get to the place where your priority is the spiritual kingdom? Yeah, looking upwards. But what will have had to go on in you? What will have had to? How will you have got to that? Because this is a real thing. Yeah, sanctification. But, but you know, it's kind of... I think sometimes when we talk a lot about these things, that we we keep our eyes on the Lord. We, you know, what is it Paul writes? Keep your mind on things above. And and we know that we're supposed to do that. But we we inhabit a physical universe. And we have real things that are are distracting us and attacking us and causing us to... to what, What will be the only way that we can actually prioritize the spiritual kingdom? You won't, perhaps you won't get it because maybe my question's awkward. Right. But. but 
listen to the Holy Spirit, hear the Lord, right. and basically do what he says. Yeah. So, yes. It makes a world of difference. It does. But I why will you do that? Go ahead, I, Rich. I think you've got to make the world, you've got to accept that the word of God, the word of God is more real to you than the real the world that you really live in. Yes. So I think that's handy. definitely true. Definitely true. Um, okay, how does, how does the Word of God become more real to you? How does the spiritual world become more real to you? And when it is real to you, what are you trusting to God? Maybe that's a better way to ask the question. You are, yes, yes, you are. Well, think about it. The only reason that you can focus on a spiritual world, the only way you will be able to, is when you totally trust that God is in control of your physical world, come what may. But so that you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to be anxious about that. You don't have to put too much thinking into that. Well, exactly. In, in every issue, in everything. Yes, yes. So it's just, it's why will you not be anxious about things? Why will you not be afraid? Why? Whatever the outcome, you know, with the Lord, you can... Exactly. And you trust that God will provide. He will provide everything that you need. That's his promise. Now, okay, that's true. So you're going to trust that he is in charge of the physical universe as well as the spiritual universe. He's in charge of everything. And he's promised to provide everything. He says in this chapter, doesn't he, that uh, don't be anxious about um, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. You're worth more than... 10 sparrows or whatever it is and uh, he clothes the lilies of the field so over and over he's talking about this Jesus but the thing is what are you going to say to the person in Africa who hasn't got any food and what will you say to the person in North Korea who is being starved because so physically suffering because of a spiritual kingdom where is God how is God providing in that situation because these are real questions, you know. We talk about the fact that he's in control and he's promised to provide everything we need. But there are Christians who are not being provided with physical, um, whatever they need physically. So what's the answer to that? How will you, um, how will you live in the in the spiritual, trusting that he's going to provide in the physical when you know there are cases when it doesn't look like he has provided in the physical. Yeah. Purposes. That yeah. means all things. So we are learned to rejoice in the uh, in uh, when, as the song says, when there are cattle in the in the store and when there isn't any. Right. Right. So the the person in North Korea, in a North Korean prison or gulag or whatever they call them, who hasn't got enough to eat or hasn't got whatever. What's the answer? What's the literal answer that you're going to say to that person when you stand face to face with them? What are you going to say? Or what will they say to you? See, I don't know if saying does any good. It's, it's their experience of how much the Lord is strengthening them and giving them amazing joy. Right. Right. No, but what's the answer? Why haven't they got bread? Well, that's part of the answer that we haven't provided. That there is a—it's a worldwide family, and we are to be helping each other. That's definitely part of the answer. But isn't the answer also, if I haven't got bread and God is the provider of bread, then He must think I'm better off without it. Mm. Now that's so hard, and and I can say that here because I have enough to eat and I have a roof over my head. Mm. But that's the only answer. 
You said God causes all things to work together for good. We believe that God is in control of everything in the universe, that if he wanted to, he could, he, could, he could lay before me a table of food if I needed it. He could make every single member of my family totally healthy. He could make it that, you know, that we don't die, that we have no needs at all. And if he doesn't, the only answer is that he has decided that's the best. Well, I don't think anybody's faith is strong enough, to be honest, Anne. I think only God is strong enough to take you through those things. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Why hasn't God provided? Yeah. Yeah. It's not an easy answer. I'm not trying to suggest it's an easy answer. But if these things are real and we are told to concentrate and focus on the spiritual and leave the physical to God, which is what Jesus is saying, then he must be able to take us to the place where we're able to do that. And that's what I think he's doing here. He's trying to get his disciples to the place where they can totally leave everything of their physical needs, everything that's to do with this world, to God, and trust him for that, so that they can focus only on where he's trying to take them, what he's going to do through them spiritually. I mean, it's a massive thing. It is, yeah. that um, when people are starving in these terrible situations, bad regimes, mm. probably preventing mm. them receiving mm. things that they need, mm. it's just showing the world the wickedness of man's heart because we're not sharing definitely there is enough there. I, I definitely and think that's think it part yes of it is God is exposing exactly that. I do and that's part of his his plan I definitely that. think that yeah. and I think he's exposing the weakness of the western church feels it's best for us not well it's difficult where do you go with it then yeah. okay he's exposing the weakness and the selfishness yeah. Yeah. of the western church yeah. he's exposing the world and all its sin yeah. and the way that we don't care for one another but if he's able to do everything I know. then the question is why is he not doing what he's able to do. And if we don't resolve that, there are a million unresolved questions in life. Yeah. You know, we've got a couple in the morning here whose daughter had breast cancer and was told at the beginning of this year, 99.9% sure she's cured. And now they've given her a very short time to live. She's a young mother, three-year-old son. You know, her parents come here. You know, I mean, they're just broken. Of course. Well, if we it's can't have... Of sin in the world. It is, but we have to have the answer to, uh, or at least some semblance of understanding yeah. about why God is not doing what we say he can do. Because yeah. otherwise, we, otherwise, what does it mean? And we can come out with all the scriptures. Well, we have a testimony that he will carry us through. Exactly. Exactly, but but the the basic bottom line is: Do we believe that God could have healed her, mm. could heal her? Oh, yes. And if we do, why has He not? Well, then this is where I decide. You, you, you can't you don't ask why. You don't. But so what I'm saying is, we have to at least have the understanding that He's able to heal, and that if He doesn't, He will produce good out of it. That there is a purpose and a plan that will bring good out of it. Didn't they say that in the fiery furnace? 
Yes, if I perish, I perish. But my God is able to save me. All through the scripture it says that. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't worry about this, don't worry about that. But these disciples are all going to die for their faith. They're all going to die for the Lord. And he's telling them right up front, don't worry about this. Don't worry about what's happening in the physical realm. Think about the spiritual realm, because the spiritual realm is the only lasting realm. This is the one that will last for eternity. The physical stuff will all go. Yeah, exactly. So I think... I I, I don't mean to trivialise it. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. They came in this afternoon, this couple, and... It's, it breaks my heart too, you know, because I love them and it breaks my heart that their hearts are broken and they have no answers and, and they're angry and asking why. And, and we can come with all the, all the right answers, but we have to have that understanding. Yes, God could heal, but he's not healing. He's not. Anger, though, is the key in what you just said, isn't it? Why? I would be angry too. I would be angry. My initial instinct would be, why are you not doing this? So I, you know, she was angry in, a, in an outburst, and then she came through her anger out That's the other real. side. You it's real, and she wants, and, and, and you see, this is the thing. We have this idea that only the physical things are real. Mm-hmm. Spiritual things tend to be, well, you know, <laughs> but spiritual reality is reality. And it is the only reality, actually. So I think Jesus is trying to show them how they are to live in a physical world with their focus on a spiritual reality. Paul will write about it, doesn't he? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, um, uh, but this momentary light affliction is, is creating for us an eternal weight of glory as we keep our minds on things that are invisible. That's a bad paraphrase, but uh, you know what I mean. Where he says... Um, as, light yeah, momentary light affliction. Yeah, exactly. Well, as he says, yeah, he says, um, uh, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's that idea that what we can see with our eyes is passing away, but what we can't see with our eyes is continuing on for eternity. And, I mean, that how will we ever get to that place? How will we get to that place? And the only way we'll get to that place is by the renewing of our mind the mind which feeds the soul, which feeds the will, which feeds the, the heart of, of us. The only, play, only way we will ever get to that is really what Rich was saying about believing that the word of God is more important. And the only way we'll ever get into that place is where we soak ourselves in the word of God and ask the Holy Spirit, ask the Lord to make that real, so real to us that everything else kind of fades away. All understanding. Yeah. Whatever happens externally. Yeah. I mean, we both lost our life partners, but I felt no anger, and nor did I. No. So I think anger is the key there. Well, I do think, Mike, that maybe losing a partner is different to losing a child. Wow. Losing a child is uh, because I, I think, humanly speaking, let's say, 
not what the Lord can do, but then nothing prepares you in the human condition for losing a child. You're prepared for your parents to die before you. You're even prepared for your spouse, your partner, to die before you. You don't know, but instinctively, we have that. We know it's going to happen. You know, my husband might die before me or I might die before him. We're already conditioned to understand that. But children, no. When a child dies, that hits you out of nowhere. You have nothing that has prepared you for it. You just It's just completely out. So I think that that's her anger. Her anger is, why not me, Lord? Why would it not be me? Why didn't you take me? Why? And her anger is just from her pain. And I don't think the Lord... I mean, I think Job got very angry. <laughs> and I think that he was never condemned by God. I think anger is a, is a normal human emotion as long as you come through it to the, to the place where you submit to the Lord. That's why I think yeah. that's why I'm saying anger is the key. That is the other side of that coin, isn't it? It's, it's coming through. Coming through it's it, yes. Through acceptance. Yes, yeah. It can do. It can lead you into the other direction. But. Yeah, that's it. And but that's it. That's you're trusting what you can't see. It's it's not seen, but it's reality. So how do we get our minds? How do we get to that place where we can do that? And that's what I think Jesus is teaching them. He's teaching them. You're going to live in two worlds. And, and it's going to be difficult, and there's going to be stress and tension, and you have to have already made the choice about which one is most important. Because if you haven't made that choice, you're going to come up against all these stressful situations, all these ordinary situations sometimes, and they're going to keep on knocking you over because you haven't made the choice to decide which is important and which isn't. And for us in the West, we know exactly the things that, that can knock us over. You know, we live in a world that's affluent. We've got more money than we know what to do with. We, you know, we just have so much. And it's all constantly pulling our eyes away from reality. Um, so, um, I, <laughs> so have you. So have you. He knows what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've got two shirts. You're over, over, whatever it is. Over provided for. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I think that, you know, we could probably spend hours on each parable in this section, but we, we haven't got time. What I love about the Bible is the way it all connects. I love that about Scripture, that it connects. And this section of Luke all connects. He started a few chapters ago to what you might call laying into the Pharisees. He's been really on it with them, calling them hypocrites, telling them that they're pretending, that they're, yeah. And he, he's going to uh, begin here with beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of the sin of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Because what happens is, when you understand the choice between living in the spiritual and living in the physical... And when you know what that costs and how difficult that is, that the choice people make starts to become evident. And that's why he's saying to the disciples, don't follow the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees are the leaders. They're the leaders. And they're living the life that, that, that they're calling spiritual. This is high spiritual living, according to them. And Jesus calls it hypocrisy. So what is it about their life that is hypocritical? And in, in terms of what he's calling his disciples to do. So thinking about 
what are the Pharisees doing in terms of the physical and the spiritual dimension? How are they? What are they? He says, do what they say, but not what they do. Yeah, yeah. But even not even what they say sometimes. I know he does say that. But yeah, yeah. They've added to it, and they're living by the law. What else? So what, what would you say? I mean, if you, had to, if you had to say the spiritual world, in order to live in the spiritual world or to live in, focused on the spiritual world, with that your priority, as we've said, you have to renew your mind. You have to be filling your mind with the truth about God. And you have to be asking God, help me to live in that dimension. What will start to become unimportant to you when you do that? Strangely dim. So what are the things of the Pharisee's life? Duty. What duty? Yeah. yeah. They cared what people thought. They cared what people thought of them. Reputation, appearances. What else? We talked last week about. I think we talked about the religion, their own religion, and the fact that they'd added to it. So they built this very nice. So the Pharisees are concerned with externals, the externals that can be seen, and they're not concerned with internals that can't be seen. Or at least they think can't be seen. Jesus called them white yes, yeah. they're concerned about what shows on the outside, and and what happens is, because they have made their choice for this world, the physical world, and they haven't prioritized the spiritual world, they're building up this uh, picture or this this deception about themselves, because which is based on the externals and showing everybody the externals. So. Can you see how the choice, which, which world is more important, is so crucial? Because actually what will happen is you will have to become hypocritical to live as a, to live as a part of the professing church within um, this world. Because you, if you make this world your priority, it will start to show. And he's going to say a little bit later in this chapter, nothing that's hidden will be remain hidden it will all be uncovered and that will frighten them will it frighten you think about it if if this is what he's talking about we're going to read through the verses in a second but if this is what he's talking about if he's talking about make your choice about what's important to you is it the spiritual world or the physical world if you choose the spiritual world, that's my priority. Living for God is my priority. Living to please God is my priority in, in any way. You won't make it. You're not going to do the perfectly every day because you're a human being with many failings. But God knows what's on the inside of you. And so that desire is going to cause him to help you to, to live the way you're going to live. Why would you be afraid? of something being uncovered when God knows everything about you anyway. The only reason you'd be afraid is if you think that the externals are what he sees or if you're afraid of what people think. So what happens with believers who truly have chosen the spiritual is that they are less and less and less afraid of what people know about them because actually it becomes unimportant to them other people's opinions. It only is, it's only important what God thinks. And that's actually what Paul says, doesn't it? It doesn't matter to me what you think about me. It doesn't matter even what I think about myself, he says. It only matters what God thinks of me. It's a wonderful place. Isn't it? It's just amazing. And he only gets there because he's chosen his world. He's chosen the world that is the priority. He still has to move in this world, this one, the physical, yes. but he's chosen what's his priority. I think one of the 
describes that is the, the level place. Um, he stands on a level place. Mm. And I found that very mm. exciting. Mm. Yeah? Because the closer we are to God, the more balanced we Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. You can stand level. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Carl. Yeah. So he's going to start in chapter 12. We'll go all the way, to, if someone could read all the way to verse 12. Um, yeah, from verse 1 to verse 12, please. Twelve, verse one to twelve. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you have spoken in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast you into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. So the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men, will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates to authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer, or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you want to say. Thank you. Okay, context is king, isn't it? That's what precept, good precept students, context is king. And the context of these verses, in fact, the whole of this chapter and onwards is key to understanding it. How does he begin this chapter? What's the first thing he says? Beware of the sin of the Pharisees. Beware, what is the sin of the Pharisees? We've already said hypocrisy. hypocrisy. Beware of hypocrisy because what, will be, what is hidden will be revealed and what is spoken in, this, in secret will be brought into the light. What is hypocrisy? It's pretending to be what you're not. It's, it's knowing what, what you should be but pretending to be that when you're not really it. If you don't know that you should be something else and you, you're pretending, it's kind of a slightly different thing, but it's knowing that you should be a particular way and not being that way, but pretending you are. That's what he's talking about. People say to me, you know, they're frightened of this verse, that, that one day they're going to stand before the Lord and, and he's going to blast out, you know, Carol, she said this in secret. All of you know, and all, we're all, everyone else is booing and hissing because Carol actually said this. Does that sound like the God who's described here? The God who knows every hair on your head? The God who thinks you're more valuable than many sparrows? 
that's not the God that he's describing. He's trying to say to them that the Pharisees, one day, everything will be revealed about them. These are the leaders and the rulers and the authorities. When you stand in front of them, he says at the end, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. These are the people that are leading Israel at that time. Not the Romans, of course they're under Roman occupation, but the leaders of Israel are the Pharisees and the scribes. And what he's saying is they are one day going to face a God who knows every word they've spoken, everything they've done, every hypocritical act every pretense, and they are going to have to make an account for that. This is not for these disciples to worry about. They're not worried about it. He actually says to them, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those. Um, Fear, stand in awe of the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And then are not five sparrows sold for two cents, yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. I I think that is the most repeated statement in scripture. Do not fear. And it is spoken to the people of God. Do not be afraid. Why? Because your God is God and he has promised to care for you. Um, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him. Who denies me will be denied before the angels. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What is the blasphemy of the Pharisees against the Holy Spirit? Because he's talking about Pharisees here. Make no mistake, he's talking about beware of the leaven, beware of the sin of the Pharisees. What have they done? Just a chapter before, what did they do? Deny um, who who Jesus was. Yes, they denied who Jesus was, but particularly they said that he had healed someone by Beelzebub. So they attributed the work of God to Satan, or the work of the Holy Spirit, if you like to Satan. That is a blasphemy that cannot be forgiven because these uh, Pharisees are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They're afraid of Jesus because they know who he is or at least they know they should know who he is or they should be believing who he is. And so everything, they're plotting to kill him. Why would they be plotting to kill him? Because he's going to upset their lifestyle. He is going to show them to be who they really are. In fact, he's already doing it. He's calling them hypocrites. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, with all those crowds of people listening, he's calling them whitewashed tombs. Um, yeah, yeah. So this is, what, this is who this chapter is about. I mean, obviously, obviously, we can take the truth from it. You know, but he says here... Um, Uh, he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. Well, what's an example of that in Scripture? Because you can speak against Jesus. They did speak against Jesus, people, when he was there. Who spoke against him? Notably. Peter. Peter, his own family, his brothers didn't believe that he was who he said he was. And all the people around were trying to on who he was was. yeah so he says it's possible you can um, uh, 
was it? Uh, sorry, you can blaspheme. I just sort of don't want to get. Uh, you can speak a word against the Son of Man, and that will be forgiven you. But if you attribute the work of God to Satan, that cannot be forgiven. Because why would you do that? Why would the Pharisees do that? Why wouldn't they be looking and saying, "Wow, this might be the Messiah"? Why not? Yeah, because he's taking the yeah Nicodemus and um, the other one, Joseph. Thank you. Um, but but most of them are not, and it's not because they don't know. It's because they won't have him as God. They won't have him as Messiah, and and that's really the key, I think, to all of it actually. Oh yeah, I don't know if he was, was he? Well he was very rude about his father, wasn't he? He was very rude about the, the Pharisees and his father doesn't say he was a Pharisee, but he worked in the temple. He did. Yeah, I think I think definitely he spoke against the Pharisees. You're right, but whether that included his father, I don't know. And whether Jesus would, in, I mean, he's speaking. Beware of the sin of the Pharisees. But as Mike says, Nicodemus wasn't one of those because he and Joseph of Arimathea came at the end. And um, so I think probably there was a dis- distinction. I hope so, Carol. <laughs> I hope so. Um, Oh, I don't know. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think I think God ordained it, but I'm not sure it was about his father. So, um, okay. So um, the Pharisees are rejecting the work of Jesus because they like their hypocrisy, and that's basically. Um, and Jesus here saying. Uh, if you deny him, you're going to be denied before the angels of God. It's just confirming this idea that what happens on earth is linked to what happens in heaven, that it has ramifications, that though you have to choose which which world to focus on, it doesn't mean that there aren't ramifications to that. Um, So, um, okay, let's go on a bit. So 13 to 21, please. Could someone read those verses? Anyone? Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And he said to them, Man, who appointed me judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive, and he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So it's the man who stores up treasures for himself is not rich towards God. Thank you. Okay, so here's a guy who's been listening to some of this stuff and has got completely confused and or is testing Jesus or whatever. But he doesn't say he's testing him. It just says, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. What's the big problem with that? 
Or what's the, why is Luke including that in this account? Yeah, there's often an, a wrangle about inheritance. But it's both things here, isn't it? It's possessions, it's money, it's wealth, it's, it's physical, uh, worldly, worldly stuff, possessions, worldly things. Now, this guy is following Jesus, so he's listening to all the things that Jesus is saying. And basically, Jesus is trying to talk to the, everyone, the disciples and the crowds, about the reality of who he is and how he's come to set up his kingdom. And so this guy is... is mistaking physical well-being with spiritual well-being and wanting to store up all this thing. And don't you think it's really interesting that Jesus says, the, the guy will say, soul, he uses the word soul, doesn't it? Doesn't he? Where is it? Um, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, it's interesting to me that that's the, that's the word he uses because we are, all of us, more than our physical body, more than our physical needs, more than this world. There is, uh, our soul is in need of stuff that this world cannot provide, but it is deceived into thinking that the, what the world can give us is what we need and that will satisfy us. I mean, over and over again, you see that in life. People are not satisfied with what they have. They're definitely not satisfied with lots of money. They're not satisfied with drink. Look at a song of, um, uh, Solomon when he talks about, he, um, in Ecclesiastes, when he tried this and he tried that and he wanted to find wealth and happiness here and he was always dissatisfied. Why? Because we are more than a physical body. We are an eternal soul that will live for eternity wherever we go. So it's not that sinners or unbelievers are going to not live in eternity. It's that they are going to live in eternity, but away from God. That's the greatest tragedy. And they will know that they're going to live in eternity away from God. Because a soul is a knowing personality. This is not a case where, you know, when you die, you're going to go into the ground and feed, be fertilizer for the trees, so you have no knowledge of anything. This is that when you die, your body will go into the ground, and maybe your body will fertilize the, the trees, but your soul, the very essence of who you are, will live eternally. And then you will be very sorry you chose the wrong world. That's what Jesus is saying. Make a choice now whilst you still have time and make the right one. Um, and, and the only way you can make the right one is to understand that what we can't see is real and what we can see is not. That's such a difficult thing. I don't know how you can do that yourself without God helping. I, don't, I just, yeah, because what we see and what we touch and what we hear and what we feel, it's all so real to us. And it is real on one dimension, but it's not eternally real. Okay. Um, yeah, let's go on. 22 to 34, please. And he spake unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, 
And take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for your body what you shall put on. For life is more than meat, and the body more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barns, and yet God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than fowls? Uh, no, to, um, what did I say, to 34, please. 34. Yeah, thank you. And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do the least thing, why take ye thought for the raiment? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They labour not, neither spin they. Yet I say unto you that Solomon himself, in all his royalty, was not clothed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore ask not what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither hang you in suspense. For all things the people of the world seek for, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye after the kingdom of God, and all things shall be cast upon you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Thank you. Okay, so um, Jesus began this kind of looks like a new section, but it's not actually, it's connected, because the connecting phrase is in verse 22. Uh, I don't know what your, I, I, I don't know if Mike's translation actually said this, but in verse 22, Luke says, and he said to his disciples, and then he quotes Jesus, for this reason I say to you. What reason? Yeah, the result of storing up treasures on earth. For this reason I say to you, for the reason of this parable which I've just told you about, for the reason that you can't store up enough that it's not going to make any difference to eternity, for that reason don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life as to what you will eat or, or for your body as what, you, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. So it's just an extension of what he's just, the parable he's just said. And, um, and basically he's telling them to guard against this type of greed. This is going to take effort on, on our part to guard against it because we're going to be easily deceived by it. Easily deceived into thinking that what we have is somehow a protection against everything else and there's no protection you know and i think we're being shown that in our day really clearly because there's such fear out there about what's going to happen you know what will happen if corbyn gets in what will happen with this what will happen with that you know my husband said we're going to emigrate if corbyn gets in <laughs> you know so but we had a sense that actually whatever happened We'd be all right. Yes. Because actually, if Corbyn had got, all, got in, maybe many more of us would have turned to the Lord. Uh, yeah, maybe. But that's because you're seeing things from a spiritual point of view, because your focus is the kingdom of God. If your focus is this kingdom, this world, 
you don't think like that. You are knocked about by everything that looks like it's going to harm you, and you want to protect yourself. So you work until you're whatever age, and you, you get your savings together, or you build up a nice pension, or whatever it is, or you get an inheritance, and you're going to hang on to that for, for all costs, because you're afraid of what's going to happen next. It's only if you've got your eyes on... This is going to sound really bonkers, but it's a really sweet place when you don't have to pay any tax. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Does that sound bonkers? No. And actually you can do on relatively little. Yes. Actually we're so wealthy because our wealth Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's not bonkers at all. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about how do we get to that place and he's trying to train his disciples to get to that place. And it's a wonderful place to be. But you can only get there if you've made the choice that the spiritual is more important than the physical. I think if Corbyn had got in, we would have felt that all the prayers that we put up about Brexit hadn't been heard. Yeah. Or else we're not right. Yeah. That's even more important. Or else this is the plan of God. Yeah. Do you know that's the thing, isn't it? It's sometimes Yes, we sometimes we think we well, know we God's it. will exactly. um, because we because we want to be able to affect change in our own nation or our no, own neighborhood, and that surely looks like a good thing. Yeah. It's a bit like why do people die? Young people, why do young people die? It surely looks like a good thing that they don't. But then somehow God's plan is not always our plan. I think it's just getting to the place where if he answers in a different way, we can still say, praise the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And that's, that's the, where you've got your eyes on the spiritual and not necessarily on, on the physical. But I mean here, Jesus is saying, for this reason, don't worry about these things. Um, we're not to worry about food, about clothing, about anything that we need, basically. Um, and he uses two words, doesn't he? He uses anxiety, do not worry, and fear. So, um, well, I think uh, Eve's probably answered it. Why would you not be anxious, and why wouldn't you fear? Because you know God's in control. So, who are the people in who are listening to all of this? So it's obedience, isn't it? Yes. He asks us not to be anxious. Exactly. He tells us not to be actually. Yeah. Don't be anxious. But the thing is, who is he aiming this? Where did he begin in this chapter? Yeah, he's telling his disciples, but he began with, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And this is all an amplification. What is the sin of the Pharisees? That they're all about the externals. They're all about the physical. They're all about making their own nest egg, about making things comfortable, about having the right positions um, in, in society. They're all about that. But also, uh, the leaven in the lump, the leaven is the thing makes it expand. Yeah. So yeah. that's just the influence that they're having exactly. on the society. Exactly. Exactly. We yeah. Too have an influence on society. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's talking, I think, to the disciples and he's saying, Be careful of that, because that's not real, that's fake and that's gonna that's gonna be judged. And actually Peter's gonna say this, isn't he? In, in one of his letters he says that the whole world's gonna go through the fire of judgment. Um, so it, he, he's taken what Jesus says and made it kind of he put it into different language, but saying the same thing. But but here and now, he's, Jesus is talking about the religious leaders who are supposed to be leading people in the right direction. Blind shepherds. 
Yes. And so just as God would say in the Old Testament, these, these shepherds are treading on the sheep and taking the best stuff for themselves, that's what he's, Jesus is saying here. These leaders, they're, just, they're, they're so concerned with themselves and what they're getting and amassing that they're forgetting that there's a spiritual reality. But as you say, Mike, I think there's also, although I think this is primarily to the Jews at that time, I think there is a message to us and particularly in our churches, in the Western church. You know, the leaders of our churches, you know, leaders of great denominations, you know, are they massing money for themselves? You know, is the, is the church, the professing church, has it got stacks and stacks of wonderful investments and, and buildings and, and things, the things of this world that are all going to perish? Or are they focusing on the spiritual world to come? Are their eyes on heaven? That was one of the things when we met Graham, uh, the vicar of um, Siren Sister. One of the things that he said, which struck me when we met him, was that um, he wasn't much interested in raising money for the roof or the buildings because his, his heart was to go out on mission and bring people to know the Lord. Yeah, it is lovely, and, it's, you know, and that's inside the Anglican Church. So even though we talk about the professing church and talk about these denominations, there are, there are people within them who have a heart for God. But the thing is, this is, we have to be careful because the leaders of these churches, of these organizations, are leading other people. And they're leading, Jesus said in the last chapter, didn't he? They're like hidden tombs, these Pharisees. And they're leading people to walk over something that's going to, you know, it's going to swallow them up. So, um, you know, how will Jesus evaluate them when he comes back? And how will he evaluate us? When we face him, we who've been given so much, what will be the evaluation? At least we're not religious. Yeah. Yes. I hope. I, yeah. I'm just gonna just gonna hide behind Jesus, Carol. That's all. I'm just gonna say you promised. You promised, and I, I need you to carry me in. That's all. I mean, but Paul does say, doesn't he? He says in First Corinthians, he says that when we face Christ, you know, if, if we've built with wood, hay and stubble all the meaningless stuff, all the things of this world, if we've tried to build an empire with that, we might get through, but it will be as if by fire and everything that we've built will be burned up. So, yes, I think it's about the Jews and about the Pharisees, but I also think, I think with Scripture, you, everything can be used, the principles can be. I know we all think that, but... Um, but it's an story to yeah, go ahead. It's a very interesting thing, hypocrisy and what other people think of you. Because do we really genuinely not care yeah. what other people think? Yeah. And we could, well, I can think, mm -hmm. and I was just thinking, you know, if I really do a blunder, am I thinking, oh, gracious? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's, and the, the, the reality is, yes, I do. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's the thing, and we we have to ask the Lord to get us to the place where we don't. I mean, that's just the truth. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I'm a little bit along that road because I don't. I mean, I care obviously. I do care. It can't help it. I'm human, and that's still to go. But I'm vastly different to the way I was in that area, particularly vastly different. 
Um, so let's go on, 35 to um, uh, 48, please. Could somebody read those? Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding. When he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you, he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if you should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. Is it up to there? 48 actually, please, oh, Anne. All the way, yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> um, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Yeah, especially. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, who, whom his master will make ruler of his household in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his master will find, so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, he begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, but at an hour when he is not aware, and he will cut him in two, and appointing his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, who knew his master's will, and did not prepare himself, or do accordingly to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things to serving as stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. So what would you say is the crux of this, this, these verses? It's just a continuation of the ones before, but what's the crux of this? Priorities, this. Yeah, priorities still. It's good, going back to being ready. Yeah, be yes, ready, be ready. Well, I think it's a privilege that we are uh, members of his household, and therefore, because of that, we have a responsibility. Mm. Right. For those that do, uh, um, don't uh, know, uh, then we shouldn't condemn them, because they actually don't know. God will be more merciful to them yes. who yes, don't know than to us who do. Yes. So following that, exactly that, so following the fact that he's been talking about the Pharisees and uh, and now going on to say, be ready, what are the Pharisees guilty of here? Yeah, they're not preparing. Why are they not preparing? Because they're not prepared. Um, they have a form of godliness, but deny the power. power. Yeah, yeah. Because they're talking about a kingdom that is going to come, but they don't really believe it. Mm-hmm. They're not living like they believe the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm-hmm. 
And, and actually, the whole of the scriptures say we are to live and move as if we're expecting God at any moment. And that's not just New Testament, that's Old Testament as well. They were waiting for Messiah who could come at any moment. And so his, his whole criticism of those uh, Pharisees is, you know the scriptures. You know that you're supposed to be ready and preparing other people to be ready, but you are deliberately not doing it. Why? Because you are more intent on making yourself a comfortable life than on preparing the way for Messiah. And again, it's easy for us to see how we take that for ourselves. You know, the church has been waiting for the second coming of Christ for 2,000 years. And I think probably you could ask a lot of believers, you know, when's Christ coming? And they'll say, oh, I don't know, sometime, but he's been coming for a long time and he's not arrived yet. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of that idea in the church. Yes, we see. Will come again. Mm. Will yeah. Come quickly, but yeah. not just yet. Yeah, but not just yet. So I, I think it's, and, and I don't think, I mean, Peter says, Are you telling us this parable or to everyone else as well? And Jesus doesn't even answer that. He just says, You know, consider the, fa the faithful servant mm. and then consider the ones who are not faithful and decide where, where do you want to be? Because there's, uh, there's choices to be made. Do you want to be ready? And if being ready means being prepared at every moment for your life to be totally examined by God, believing that he's going to come at any moment, and so what you do now has an effect on your eternity. You know, people again say to me, they say, oh, you know, the, the, the master of the slave will come and cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That can't happen to believers. He's not now, he's not even talking about the church because the church doesn't exist. And as soon as we take everything and say he's talking about the church, we are guilty of replacement theology. Even though we don't believe that, we're guilty of it because we're taking these verses and turning it into his uh, criticism of the church. But the church doesn't exist here. We can take the principles, but not the actual verses. He's talking about the Pharisees and he's talking to Jews. Make sure that you are faithful so that when... When Messiah comes, when um, uh, the Master comes, you'll be ready. Um, as I say, we can take the principles of it um, and use it for ourselves, but um, it's essentially addressed to the Jews. And the whole thing is, don't be taken in by the Pharisees. Don't be deceived by their lifestyle so that you follow them. Don't follow the wrong shepherd. He's going to say, isn't he, I am the good shepherd. Follow me. Um, also, to, it was a very joyous thing, wasn't it, to build up wealth. Yeah. By that, almost shame of God. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. After Jesus came, it yeah. was very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, they, what the Old Testament says is that material Material wealth is a sign of the blessing of God. Yes. So you could see how that idea would, would because that's what it says. Yes. If you do, if you obey me, I'll, I'll bless you and give you all of these things. But they never understood the obedience was from the heart. So as soon as you don't understand that, you miss the whole thing entirely. And they were considering that they were blessed with material possessions because they were necessarily in the right place with God and he was blessing them. But God only blesses 
the right, the good, the heart, the attitude of the heart. Um, so, um, that's what's missing in our society today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I would say, Mike, that that's the church's fault. Totally the church's fault. Mm. Of which we are a part. They are weighing mint and coming. Yeah. Yeah. Not thinking about the dead fly in the ointment. Yeah. Okay, so I've got a couple of things just to say and then we'll get read the last verses. Um, everything we do here should be done in view of the second coming of Christ. Everything we do should be done in view of that. That means it, it, it's a very easy way then to decide, is this worth it? Is what I'm going to do with my time worth it? Is what I'm reading worth it? Is, is, you know, is this going to help me do what God's left me here to do? Is my attitude to money, is my attitude to whatever, is, is, is this an attitude that would please God if he came now? If Jesus came now? Um, my I was saying actually earlier today, I was saying it's quite easy for me because my, my husband's a non-believer. So I can hide behind the fact that he doesn't want to give away every possession he has because he's, he's doing what's right in his eyes and that's being a good steward of what he has and what we have. And so, um, uh, and so I do get challenged by the Lord on that because you know, I say, well, I would give you everything, Lord. You know, I would just give it all to you. And then I think, would I? Would I? If Alan were to become a believer tomorrow and God gift him with the ability to give away everything he had, would I be saying, no, no, not that, no, no, not that, not quite everything? <laughs> no, sir, but it's a challenge to me. So even though these verses are about the Pharisees and about people that he was talking to then, there is the challenge in it, isn't there? Like Jean Darnell, apparently, well, the Lord called. And she put her children in the car, her two children in the car, and drove off, walking mm. their husband behind, etc. Etc. Wow. <laughs> the children were She believed that that was actually the call of God in her life. Yeah, mm. I don't. I can't answer no, that. I, can't I don't either. know. I don't I know. She made a great difference in the church I gather, but mm. you no. Know, it would be a difficult one for me because the scripture says if the unbelieving one leaves, let him go, let her go. But if the believing, if you're a believer with an unbeliever, you're not to leave. Because you cover the unbeliever. Well, he's sanctified. My unbelieving husband is sanctified by my faith. You know, he's covered or he's put in a place where he knows about God. He can see the work of God. Then he's yeah. in trouble once you've been raptured. Yeah, he is. I, I, I tell him repeatedly, Carol, he's in massive trouble. <laughs> no, I tell him it'll be obvious. There'll be silence in the house for quite a long time. <laughs> so, two things. So, um, everything we do should be done in view of Christ's second coming. Two other things. Never let the world you can see with your human eyes distract you from the one that is real and eternal. I've, I've got that highlighted. And so never let the world around you close your eyes to God. Mm -hmm. Keep resisting the temptation. 
you know, and, and t that temptation comes in all sorts of ways, doesn't it? It comes in, in worry or anxiety. It comes in the um, temptation to let yourself go down a deep hole. You know, some of us are like that. You can, your life can, you can look at your life and, I'm not talking about clinical depression, but you can let yourself go down that hole without keeping yourself out of it. Um, and in a way, that's the same thing. Keep resisting the temptation to um, let the world close your eyes to God. The life, the circumstances, or your own feelings, close your eyes to the reality of God. And then finally, verse 51 to 59. Could someone read those verses? Please. Oh, actually, no, from 49 to 59. Thank you. Shall I? I <laughs> Go ahead, Pete, you do it. Okay. I've come to bring fire to the earth, and I wish that my task was already completed. There is a terrible baptism ahead of me, and I'm under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I've come to bring strife and division. From now on, families will be split apart, three in favour of me and two against, or the other way around. There will be a division between father and son, mother and daughter, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. Then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, when you see clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, here comes a shower, and you are right. When the south wind blows, you say, today will be a scorcher, and it is. <laughs> you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but you can't interpret these present times. Why can't you decide for yourself what is right? If you are on the way to court and you meet your accuser, try to settle the matter before it reaches the judge, or you may be sentenced and handed over to an officer and thrown in jail. And if that happens, you won't be free again, Thank you. Okay, so he's ending here this kind of um, amplification of all that he's been talking about since the beginning. And what he's saying is, you know, what I'm telling you here is not going to bring peace amongst men. This is going to cause massive division because you're going to separate between your focus and other people's focus. And that's going to show and people won't like it. So, you know, the division in our families, I mean, I have division in my family, and I'm sure everybody does. There's division in family, there's division in friendships, there's this division in communities, and that's what Christ does deliberately. He deliberately divides us because he's separating us all the time from out of the world and, and causing us to think in a different way and to feel in a different way and to focus in a different way. And the more we go along with his work, the more the separation yeah. will be. Can I just challenge that word deliberately? Mm. Um, I think it's just because he is who he is, holy and righteous, that in any circumstance he's going to create controversy in <coughs> whatever sphere he is in by virtue of his holiness and righteousness, which the world is not. Mm -hmm. So the wickedness of men is naturally going to be in opposition. Yeah, I agree with you, uh, um, whoever you are, Mike. I do agree with you, thank you. But he does actually say that. 
What he says is, I have come to cast fire upon the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism to undergo. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace? I tell you, no, but rather to grant division. So I, I, I agree with you that wherever he is, is going to divide. I totally agree. But I do think here he's saying, make a choice. Make a choice. I've come to get you to make a choice. Yeah. And it, I mean, the whole of, the, uh, of uh, Luke, all the Gospels, well, actually not John so much because John was written much later, but these, these three Gospels and then the Acts, the, you know, when Luke's writing the Acts of the Apostles and then the letter to the Hebrews, what you're getting is make a choice, make a choice, make a choice. When God writes to the Hebrews through whoever he writes, he's saying there's a judgment coming and it's just around the corner. And so you Jewish believers who are tempted to go back to the old ways, don't be tempted because, because you're on the right path. And all the rest of the Hebrews who haven't chosen Jesus, choose him now because the time is short. There's judgment coming. And I think that that's deliberate. Mike, I do. I think he's deliberately telling them you have to make a choice. It's, a, it's, a, it's an actual choice. And you have to make it. Um, and that it's going to be hard. Who wants father and son divided? Who wants mother and daughter? You know, these are our most personal relationships, aren't they? We want, don't want to be divided there. But Jesus is saying you can't live in both worlds. No. You have to, well, you, you can live in them because you have to live in them, but you have to choose which one's the most important. And choosing for Jesus is, is going to separate you. Um, People find these scriptures so very, very difficult to understand because you know, he portrayed as the Prince of Peace, which he yeah. is, and you know, gentle Jesus, making mark, mm. Mm. caring mm. about not. Mm. But, you know, they don't understand. And even when I was young, Christian, I found this difficult. Yeah, of course. Very difficult. They are. How can you, but actually, understand mm. the scriptures, and you only see it, aren't you? Mm. Do I see it? Mm. And family, yes. 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 No, I know. Yes, it is. It is. Um, but I think that's part of the choices. So for now, for you and for me, that it, it, it can be lonely. So, but, but the loneliness is worth it because we've chosen the priority is there. Yes. And yeah, alone. So. Yeah, not alone but lonely, maybe. Yeah. Well, maybe not, Carol, no, because he had the Holy Spirit and with the Father. It's quite a big difference. Yeah, maybe. So <coughs> when you think about what he's saying to the Pharisees and the Jews, all the Jews around him, the crowds, the disciples, the Pharisees, it's quite clear, don't you think? I mean, it's very clear about, um, you know, don't focus on the externals of this world, focus on the eternals of, of the next. And But the thing about it is he finishes this section with... Something's coming. Watch the sign of the times. You know the signs of the times. So if you can judge those signs, why can't you judge these? Because and he's wanting to tell them, you're going to make a choice. And that church is going to have eternal ramifications. And we live in times where he's saying the same thing. 